Welcome to Download. This is episode 61, recorded Thursday, June 28th, 2018. Someone else call 911. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined this week by Micah Sargent, Senior Editor at Mobile Nations. Micah, how are you? I am doing well, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Thanks for thanks for being back. I think this is your fourth episode, maybe, of Download. You've been on a couple times. Yeah. Always good to have you. Something like that. And we're also joined by a first-timer, Rose Orchard, uh, who I have put in my document as an all-around nerdy person on the internet. That is correct. I am definitely all around the internet and very nerdy. Hello, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, Jason is on vacation this week, so he had no hand in picking these stories. Don't let him tell you otherwise. Mwahaha. <laughs> <laughs> Topic one, I'm calling companies like buying other companies. We have a couple of interesting examples this week to talk about. We've been talking about the Disney, Comcast, Fox love triangle for a while. I don't know if it's a love triangle when you have billions of dollars at play, but (laughs) it looks like Disney is going to be the new owner of 21st Century Fox. The Department of Justice did step in as expected Uh, with a requirement that Disney sell Fox's 22 regional sports cable networks. So for those people who aren't familiar, Fox has these regional sports networks all over the U.S. So ours here in in my region, Tennessee, is called Fox Sports South. And they cover sports sort of in my part of the country. There's 22 of these. But as you may remember, Disney owns a little sports startup I like to call ESPN, just a (laughs) ragtag group of people basically working in a garage. (laughs) DOJ says, hey, you can't own all of these sports networks and ESPN. You got to do something about that. And so there is a requirement that Disney sells those networks within 90 days of the deal coming to a close. This still has to be approved by a federal judge uh, and a couple other steps, but it looks like this is going to be how it goes. Disney can buy Fox, but then has to turn around and sell these regional networks. This move seems to make sense to me. You know, sports coverage is a very weird world because there's just not a lot of players. And I I see the antitrust concerns in Disney owning ESPN and Fox, which are basically for a lot of people the only two options. Does that make sense to you all? Yeah. Well, whenever you said not a lot of players, at first I thought you were talking about sports players. And I thought, no, there's quite a few players. I don't know. Um, but yeah, not, oh, not a whole lot Micah, of, Micah, of Micah. <laughs> not a whole lot of options there. And the fact is, uh, a lot of people when we're looking at, you know, the, the new way of things, the cord cutting way, a lot of people are looking for those sports deals and sports packages. And so if Disney had this uh, ability to just say, you know, you, you sign on with our cord cutting service, and not only do you get ESPN, but you get all of these local uh, mm-hmm. options as well. That's that would be quite the 
quite the monopoly, I think. And so it makes sense that, that the DOJ is like, okay, hold on. Let's, uh, let's split this up. And I got to say, I am a little bit shocked slash impressed that, that the DOJ in our modern political landscape even cares that, that Disney is trying to, to have a monopoly in sports, that they've stepped in and said, okay, maybe that's too much capitalism. Let's, uh, let's figure this thing out. <laughs> You know, I sometimes play the game of when's the last time I saw a movie that wasn't a Disney property? And uh, that's a depressing game to play. It's like, well, I saw Star Wars. Oh, well, I saw a Pixar film with my kids. Oh, Oh. Uh, I saw a Marvel movie. Oh, like (laughs) uh, there's behind behind so much. I think the online play uh, so many sports puns. I think the online thing is an interesting angle like in my maybe there's like a a future timeline i don't know how likely it would be is that some sort of streaming company you know scoops up all of these regional networks and then you have something like mlb at bat but that covers like all like all mm. sports right uh, just streaming stuff i don't think that's super likely my guess is that someone like comcast which you know has some money laying around because they didn't buy fox or, uh, you know, ABC or, or actually ABC is owned by Disney. Bad example. CBS. Somebody is going to pick these up because it, it's, a, it's a valuable set of properties because people watch a lot of sports. There's a lot of advertising dollars there. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see who, uh, who gets into the fray on this. Yes, definitely. And I mean, on the one hand, I see exactly what the Department of Justice is trying to do here. They don't want a monopoly, but at the same time, it is in some ways a little consumer unfriendly, because if you think of how many different packages you might need to buy, I mean, I'm I'm aware in the US, you have to buy a bunch of different cable packages if you want to be able to watch all of the sports. This does mean that, of course, people are going to have to have another one, they're going to have to have another login for their Apple TV. So yeah, I mean, I definitely get the point, you know, otherwise, it just gets very expensive for people. And it's, yeah, it's a very difficult situation, but I'm sure somebody's going to buy these regional sports networks, right? Yeah, Mike is writing a check right now. <laughs> Rose, that's a really good point uh, in, in terms of the way that it, it becomes sort of inconvenient and consumer unfriendly. Uh, Stephen, I like what you said about <clears throat> having one service that sort of is just like, I don't know, the sports ball network, and you subscribe to the sports ball network and you get all the sports. That'd be pretty cool because then... When I'm out there shopping around for a, you know, a cord cutting streaming package, the sports section doesn't crowd the screen for whenever I'm just trying to sort of weigh the pros and cons of each different one. Right now, they're quick to like have the sports section be this huge thing like, look at the sports you can watch. It's going to be great. And it's like, I don't care about that, though. Can you move that out of the way? No, sports. Check it out. No, please. I just want to see what channels you have. Sports. So, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, there's also a bit of breaking news, which we don't get to a lot on download, but I was prepping the show this morning and uh, this news broke. Amazon is purchasing online pharmacy pill pack for nearly a billion dollars. So this startup's pitch was they're going to be um, better than going to the pharmacy, obviously more convenient. You order them online, they ship to your door. Uh, but it could, it could also be less confusing because how they work is they uh, – lay out your dosages in these little packs that have like the date and time you're supposed to have on them. Then you open the pack and take everything in it. Uh, so someone like me, I've got morning and evening prescription. You know, I don't have to uh, wonder which one is which because it all comes sorted. And you can really see the value there maybe with with um, 
consumers who have you know sort of a complicated uh, medical situation. They have a lot of things to take, and it can be confusing. Or somebody who may be uh, maybe older or doesn't quite understand uh, all the the things they have to do. Just really making it simple, I think, is actually a pretty good idea. Like your neighborhood Walgreens or CVS or whatever. They say they will work with doctors and insurance to resolve any issues. They have a 24-7 staff ready to answer questions. You can do that on the web or over the phone. Again, trying to reach a lot of different types of consumers, not just uh, millennials listening to podcasts wanting pills on the internet. (laughs) Although that is me. Uh, This comes on the heels of Amazon appointing a CEO for its very secretive yet unnamed healthcare initiative aimed at employee healthcare plans. There's also a story a couple of months ago that Amazon was trying to get into pharmacy stuff or maybe like non-medicine pharmacy stuff. So like, I don't know, bandages and, you know, the kind of the other stuff you buy in a Walgreens, right? It's not medication, but sort of health related things. Uh, And they seem to to kind of waffle, waffle on that a little bit. But this is a big deal. You know, Amazon, they have done this in the past, going in and buying a online retailer and absorbing them in. Uh, we can think of things like Zappos, which is the example that comes to mind for me. And uh, it's just interesting because, you know, as we're going to talk about in the next segment, big tech companies are coming into their own when it comes to news. And it seems like, as far as Amazon is concerned, at least, healthcare, healthcare could be next. And I wonder, you know, how far can they get before regulations come down on them? Uh, This is a new part of business for them. Now, with Amazon, they have that other initiative. It's unclear at this point if PillPack is going to be part of of that or be part of Amazon.com. I think that's unknown. Uh, What do you guys think about this? This is so. I've been a PillPack subscriber for more than a year. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and I I really like the service. And so when I heard this, I mean, anytime a service gets acquired, you kind of have the moment of, oh goodness, are they going to close it down? Are they going to ruin it? Are they going to make it terrible? Um, and uh, with with the way that Amazon has absorbed Whole Foods, uh, I think they've done a good job there. And so I hope it'll be more akin to that and it'll just make things simpler and maybe it'll ship better than it has so far. Um, but yeah, I like the, the convenience and the ease of, of Hill Pack has been great. And I've gotten like some of my family into it as well because it ended up saving them quite a bit of money uh, in the way that it is, it is split up. And I... I get like anytime I go on va- well anytime I I go somewhere anytime I travel um I it's very easy to sort of pull out the roll and they're all little perforated packages and so I can just tear it and then I've got the exact amount of the different medications uh like allergy medicine and vitamins and prescription medicines all together um and they they just go in this little pouch and I you know know exactly what I'm supposed to take when and it's very easy um so I really like pill pack but I, uh, Amazon is a little scary. Uh, They're just in, like, slowly but surely are just putting their little tendrils in everything. And I do wonder about these regulations. Like, is someone going to be like, okay, Amazon, you now have a a, uh, tentacle in every single possible type of business that exists. And we're a little concerned about that. Um, But like I said, the way that they've handled some of these more recent acquisitions has been pretty good. So I hope that it just sort of builds on the service that I've already been using for more than a year and quite enjoy. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I love the idea of this. I absolutely do. But if it's somebody like me, when I get a prescription, it tends to be because like I've got an ear infection or something and I need antibiotics. So I'm wondering if whether or not they're going to tie this in with same day delivery or the Amazon key thing where maybe instead of the them opening your front door and putting it inside your front door, they'll put it in your bathroom cabinet for you, which, you know, add an extra <laughs> layer of creepy onto that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I'm wondering if they're going to be able to manage fast delivery and also for people with things like insulin and things that need to be kept refrigerated with that kind of medication, how they handle that. Um, because obviously that's, that's a big concern for people who have medications that need to be kept at a specific temperature. Um, and also, you know, are they going to be expanding this anywhere else? I live in Austria where we don't even have our own Amazon. We, we share Germany's Amazon, um, which means that we do get kind of a lesser deal in many ways. And it would be great if we got things like this, but we barely even have online pharmacies, if I'm being honest, just because, you know, they, they, the regulation here is so strong on things like medication that that's just that I don't think that would be a viable business model for them right now. There would have to be a change in regulation before they could even start. And in a country like the UK, where prescriptions are a specific price, um, then, you know, if you if you need a, a repeat prescription, then you can actually from the NHS, you can buy a card um, for, uh, I think, six months or a year for a flat price. And then all of your mm. prescriptions are prepaid um, for that price, which is you know, so perhaps this business model will work really well in the U.S., but I'm, I'm wondering if they will be able to bring it anywhere else. Yeah, that's always the question with this sort of thing, especially when you move into something like healthcare. I mean, you know, it's different talking about like the Amazon Echo or the HomePod, where it's like it just ships in the U.S. or the U.K. and it slowly rolls out. But something like this, because it's so complicated and because so many countries have different slash better healthcare systems in the U.S., uh, it does feel like something that may be limited, maybe just to the U.S. for a really, uh, really long time. Of course, that's a large market, but it does ignore a lot of consumers around the world. Um, uh, someone in the chat room was actually mentioning about PillPack that they uh, had uh, experience with it and they struggled to find all the prescriptions they needed uh, on PillPack. Uh, and then went on to say, you know, you can basically just get your prescriptions locally and get one of those pill boxes with like the days printed on them <laughs> and just uh, know that yeah. it's Monday. So th this is sort of the 21st century version of that to a degree. Um, I don't know how successful pill pack would have been in the long term on its own, but with Amazon behind them, uh, clearly I think they've got a future now because uh, we've talked about this on the show. People like Amazon, like, Mm -hmm. People sometimes are worded out by some of the labor stuff or like Jeff Bezos being like oddly ripped for his age. But I think overall, <laughs> he's very handsome, Micah. Uh, I don't know. I, but overall, like consumers like Amazon, you know, they have very high customer satisfaction. Uh, people love them as a retailer, uh, love them as, as for the convenience. And Amazon is going to keep tapping into that, right, in, in new yeah. areas. And uh, yeah, I agree with you, Rose, that it would be creepy if they deliver them into your medicine cabinet directly. Uh, They'll deliver them you, into your mouth, actually. Okay, open <laughs> up. Have some water. <laughs> you just open the door and there's a guy with like hit your pills in his left hand and a glass of water in his right hand. And be like, Bottoms uh, whole, up. Whole Foods brand water. 
with a yeah. little granola bar afterward because you're supposed to take that on uh, not on an empty stomach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are smart pillboxes already, uh, which can help with some of the what day of the week is this? Did I already take, you know, my morning medication things? Um, you know, there's one, I think it's called the memo box. They were on Kickstarter ages ago and like it logs in an app on your iPhone when you open it. So maybe if they tie it in with something like that, you know, that could even, you know, become a, a, a better mm. thing for them, which would wow, be interesting. Look at this thing. I'm looking at this website. Yeah. I want really quickly one of the things about um about Pillpack too uh, speaking from what the person said in the chat room uh yeah they also don't do scheduled drugs um and and by scheduled I mean scheduled by the what is it? I don't know which which group, which body does the regulations on medicine in the U.S. Is it the FDA? Whatever it is where some medicines like pain medicines and things like that are scheduled narcotics and cannot be uh, and have special rules and regulations that are required for them to do that. And so for people who may be on like um, on on pain management plans, they wouldn't be able to get everything that they needed from pill pack. And it would be interesting to see if by joining Amazon having that backing behind them if then they would have you know the funding and maybe the heft required to go into that as well so that people wouldn't necessarily have to take a physical prescription to their local pharmacy and you know hand it to the person and then do it that way so it would be interesting to see if if that change could be made by them joining and perhaps then more medicines uh would be available there it'd be interesting if where they go or maybe amazon's sort of power behind them maybe they can resolve some of those issues or overcome you know whatever's holding that back we have a lot more to talk about today But first, I want to tell you about our first sponsor, and that is Pingdom. Pingdom is the company who offer uptime monitoring and web performance management. You may be familiar with Pingdom and not even realize it because they keep your favorite sites online. Things like BuzzFeed, Netflix, Relay.fm. If you've used any of those sites recently and not run into any trouble, you may have Pingdom to thank for that. Websites are sophisticated. They have feelings, so many different moving parts. you got contact forms, checkouts, logins, search... This goes on and on. They're not simple static pages anymore. And Pingdom lets you check the availability of all of those little functions. Pingdom isn't just about getting a message when your entire site goes down. They care about the important interactions that people have on your site, and they'll let you know when they're not working. It's easy to get started with Pingdom. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. You're not installing some sort of package on your server, injecting something. It's just the URL. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code DOWNLOAD at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. So topic two. Uh, this week, Apple announced that Apple News is adding an election 2018 section of stories from verified sources including Fox News, Vox, The Washington Post, Axios, and Politico, among other publishers. While I personally have a whole heap of problems with Fox News, I do think this collection of publishers is pretty even-handed when it comes to political persuasion. There are some interesting omissions, of course, including The New York Times. Uh, But I kind of love that Vox and Axios, two digital media startups, are going to be featured sources within Apple News. This comes after Facebook and Twitter basically botched the 2016 election news cycle, each being overrun with false stories often backed and spread by foreign agents. 
Facebook in particular struggled with the human curation of news. They had that trending news section on the site. Uh, They've gotten rid of that. They've washed their hands of it. It is gone. Apple, on the other hand, is diving right in. Uh, The team is led by Laura Kern, whom Apple hired from New York Magazine to become the editor-in-chief of Apple News. So Apple News has a real editor, a real editorial team, not just uh, a bunch of machine learning trying to figure out what's real or what's not. And I wonder uh, if that human leadership, like in an actual newsroom, do, do we think that that makes it more likely to be successful than just turning things over to a robot? In my opinion, absolutely. Because, I mean, as we've seen before, it's very easy to game any kind of system that is purely left to to scripts and AI to control. You can, you can, you know, script write your own scripts to control it. And then that's when things start getting slanted in one particular direction. And then people try and write scripts to slant it in the other direction. And I think humans are hopefully less susceptible to that. And especially because uh, Apple have already said that they're going to be, you know, focusing on the fake news and, you know, using human uh, humans to avoid this, that, you know, that will be in the front of their minds. And so hopefully it will result in a balanced uh, view for the reader, um, which, of course, is something that we desperately need so that people can really see all sides of the story and hopefully make good decisions based on that. So typically it seems that it's my role to be very uh, uh, rose-tinted shades, happy-go-lucky, positive about things. But I just have to be honest here. I'm so beaten down by news in general and sort of the state of where news is and it's hard for me to have faith in anybody trying anything if i'm honest um i mean what ends up happening is it yes uh for people who are maybe somewhere down the middle or are uh unsure and are somehow both unsure and open-minded then these places where the news is quote unquote balanced and and tries to be, you know, verified and trustworthy and this and that and the other and all the other buzzwords that are involved. Sure, uh, maybe you're going to give them an opportunity to see all of the sides of a story and all of that kind of thing. But while we're focused on what uh, what these services are providing, we're not considering the humans on the other end of it, the consumers, the people who are going to look for the news. And the fact is, because of our evolutionary uh, history and the way that our brains work, it is far easier for us to fall into camps and into certain beliefs and into certain mindsets and stick with those because cognitive dissonance is is not fun, folks. And so that is what gets us into these bubbles. And I might click into the midterm elections from Apple, and there may be multiple sources. But I know that by scrolling through, I'm going to go to the sources that have provided the least cognitive dissonance for me in the past and are going to make me feel comfortable instead of uncomfortable by by presenting new ideas, because that's how humans at our basis work. And like the only way for this to change and for us to get better is if we get past that evolutionary block that we have and say, I realize that it's uncomfortable for me to have new ideas and for me to be open minded, but I I have to. And until Apple or some other company can fix that, I don't think that this or any other tech company trying something is going to work. 
Yeah, there's definitely that. I think even within Apple News, I would be looking at something like Vox or the Washington Post and not Fox News. And <laughs> exactly. That's a problem that I don't think, like you said, I don't think any system, whether it be human run or robot run, can really overcome. And I just, that, that seems like an unsolvable problem to me. Uh, and a problem that has led us to where we are today. And we'll, I think we'll only get more, um, more divided. You know, I think it's interesting that Apple's doing this now, so far in advance of the midterms. I think it's interesting that they've hired really talented people. Uh, Laura Kern was a great hire. And I hope that they can provide something. If they can't solve this problem you're talking about, Micah, at the very least, you could say, hey, everything I see in Apple News I know is from a verified source. It's not that thing that my uncle shared on Facebook that he thought was real, but it's not. <laughs> yes, and that's a good point. That may be victory enough for 2018. You know, know what I'm saying? Like Small steps. That may be enough to trust this. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like that That's the positive bit is that at least it's giving people a place to go and, and get, like you said, the verified facts. And uh, it won't let people necessarily uh, continue down a rabbit hole that confirms their current beliefs and takes them more toward a polarized position with, with false uh, information. And instead, this will just sort of, uh, you know, they can, they can remain comfortable, sure, but at least it's with verified stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did wonder, actually, as you said, Stephen, like, this is early. I, I checked uh, the midterms are in November, as far as I'm aware. And I'm wondering if that's actually going to potentially cause a problem where by the time it gets to November, people are going to be so fed up with hearing, reading and hearing about this stuff that they're just not going to care anymore. And if that's going to cause actually a, a, a real negative problem, you know, potentially lower voter turnout or something. I think there's lots to be demotivated about oh, yeah. in the elections <laughs> definitely. Uh, besides just Babel news. I mean, I think that's definitely a risk. I think the upside of it, though, is you give people plenty of time to be informed and educated. But yeah, I mean, who knows, right? Like everything's so topsy-turvy, not just in the U.S., but in a lot of countries. There's, uh, there's, I don't think there's any real telling where it ends up. Um, of course, Apple News, we didn't even mention, is uh, iOS only. It's in a very small number of countries. Micah, do you know what countries Apple News is available in? The United States, the U.K., and Canada, I think. I think it's just, I think oh, no, no, not, not Canada. No, the U.S., the U.K. It's just three. I think it's U.S., U.K., and Australia. Uh, okay. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> it's very few. Well, you're on a podcast. Here it is. News is available in U.S., U.K., and Australia. Right yes! there on Apple's website. Good job. Ha-ha. Uh, so, so it's not, um, you know, it's not worldwide. It is iOS only until this fall. It's coming to the Mac. And so it is um, a relatively smaller platform than something like Facebook or Twitter uh, or even just like Googling things, right? So it's 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 not going to have the impact that really that Facebook has. Facebook is the, is the the giant. Uh, so I don't know if it can really like really change direction for a lot of people. But in my mind, I think this product is more for people who not not people who are you know were tricked into fake news sharing on Facebook in 2016. But people, maybe maybe like the three of us, uh, I'll speak for myself, people like me who, I'm not on Facebook, uh, I want to read multiple news sources in one place where it's nicely formatted, I'm interested in this stuff, I'm keeping up with it. And so maybe for consumers like me, Apple just wants to build a nice place for that to happen, and maybe they're less interested in uh, 
trying to influence the broader population, right? You don't see Apple News being uh, a competitor to Facebook, right? Like, well, really nothing is a competitor to Facebook, really, in terms of scale. And uh, I think that's an interesting angle to this, too. That this is not going to... If you put this and Facebook on a scale, Facebook's way bigger, and it will always be that way. Yeah, I think that's uh, well put. Yes, but at the same time, there's nothing stopping other platforms picking up the torch here and, and running with it themselves and saying, hey, here's a curated list of news that we're trying to make balanced. You know, if Google did something similar on Android, then, and then of course, Google would put it on the web as well, and then they kill it a couple in a couple of years' time. Um, but, you know, that, you know, that could also help re- reach a wider audience, and it would probably benefit both companies equally. So... Yeah, I mean, Google sort of uh, revisited this at I.O. this year, and they're doing more uh, news.google.com on it right now. It's nicely laid out. Uh, it has a bunch of sources. I recognize all the names, so it's not uh, you know shady, not real websites. This is all reputable sources. They have local news because they know that I'm in Memphis, so I see things from my local paper mixed into here, which is kind of nice. That is nice. Um, yeah, so Google and Apple, I think, are, are poised to be more successful in this in the long term than Facebook and Twitter were because they have uh, well, they have the the benefit of hindsight seeing Twitter and Facebook blow it. Uh, but they, I think they're also, I think Google and Apple, on the whole, are more thoughtful companies led by more thoughtful people than than some of the social media people, and I think that shows off in this. And I think that the other fact is that they aren't social media companies in right. the first place. And so you're not relying so much on the users of your platforms and services to provide the content, but instead get to sort of take control of it altogether. So they're in a privileged position there where they're not expected to sort of put together like Twitter moments that have uh, their users content. It's just like, hey, this is what we're bringing to you with our editorial team that we've gone and found and put together, not stuff that you have already put on our services. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, So we've got a few more things to talk about, but I'm going to tell you about our second sponsor, and that is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 20,000 classes in technology, design, business, and more. A Skillshare premium membership gives you unlimited access to high-quality classes, leaving you free to master must-know topics. It's a great way to improve your skills, unlock new opportunities, and help you do the work that you love better. You can take courses on understanding web development, learn all the basics of putting together a web project, get the skills you need to explore a career in web development, uh, and going freelance. Those two things very often go together. It's a great course for anyone keen to commit to the free agent lifestyle with tips and advice for taking that leap into freelance work and maybe even more. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for download listeners. You can get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. 99 cents. Two months of Skillshare. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash download. That's Skillshare.com slash download to get two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 courses for only 99 cents. Head there and start learning today. My thanks to Skillshare for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, now it is time for the story you may have missed, a story that I may have flown under your radar 
but it's still worth mentioning. And very often when I get to pick it, it's a space story. Sorry, not sorry. So NASA is building a giant space telescope named the James Webb, and it's going to replace the Hubble and greatly improve our understanding of the universe's early days. It can see really far out into the universe. That means it can look really far back in time. The project has been plagued by problems, slipping schedules, and budget overruns. Just this week, NASA announced a new official launch date for the telescope, March 30th, 2021. For some context, in March of this year, the date was still 2019, so they've added a lot, a lot of time to it. Problems have arisen during testing of the component systems of the massive telescope. It features this huge shield to deflect heat and light from the sun, so it can peer with its infrared sensors far into the universe from its vantage point, which will be out beyond the moon. These issues will cost the federal government another $800 billion dollars raising the price tag to a staggering $8.8 billion. NASA and scientists say it's totally worth it, though. For realsies, pay the bill, because what we're going to be able to learn is just unparalleled from any other hardware. Man, if you follow Space News, anytime the James Webb comes up, you know it's a delay. Uh, I saw a tweet earlier. I'm going to try to find it now, scrolling while I talk. Uh, it was like... Um, you know, maybe uh, J- uh, James Webb, which is JWST, just whenever, sometime, TBD, which is <laughs> pretty brutal. So, James Webb, maybe it'll launch one day. Someday, beyond the sea. Someday. <laughs> Italy is going to be cool in uh, 2021 when it gets there. Okay, it's midsummer. It's the end of June. That means we are now in beta season. You can go download a beta of Android P on a whole range of phones, Google Pixels, an Oppo phone. Uh, There's a Nokia phone in there for some reason, lots of uh, supported devices. Checking out the new features in advance, including the updated design in Android P, better power management, wellness features, and a lot more. On the Apple side of the fence, users can now run the iOS 12 and macOS Mojave public betas. Those released uh, just this week. And uh, I think it's fun to run betas, right? As a nerd, we get to see what's coming. We get to provide feedback and feel like we're involved. Uh, and I'm curious, do either of you run betas normally? Are you running betas now? How's that going? I'm very tempted to pull a Vitigi, but uh, no, I, I'm not running macOS Mojave on the machine that I'm talking to you on. I am shopping <laughs> for an external SSD right now, or not literally right now, but I am shopping for one because I would like to run it. But especially when it comes to my Mac, I'm a little bit more hesitant to do that. Uh, for some reason, even though I mostly use iOS devices, um, I'm more happy to wipe them and start over than I am on my Mac. Um, <laughs> so I have been running betas on my iPhone and iPad since less than 24 hours after the keynote, uh, which may or may not have been a mistake. I've had a couple of minor issues, but uh, in general, it's been fine. I do have an Android phone, which looks like it is actually compatible with the beta, so I will be installing the beta on that just for testing things out and experimenting, because why not? But uh, Mac is something that I'm going to have to put off until I, I get an external hard drive for now. I am running all the betas on everything. Uh, <laughs> that is my that is that is my typical way of uh, of of doing things. I actually so 
a couple years ago when I was uh, at WWDC, my colleague Serenity Caldwell installed the betas like hours after the keynote and it was terrible and I was like, I'm going to do it too. And I did it and it was bad and things were not good and I don't know why I did it. It was bad. It was all bad. Um, however, the so, so the past two years I've sort of waited and waited and waited to do it um, and they this year, you know, the betas have been really pretty stable so far. Um, and I was like, no, I'm holding out. I'm not going to do it this year. I'm going to be uh, be responsible and keep the betas off. And then I broke um, and installed them. And hey, things have been pretty great. I did have an issue with um, iMessage, an iMessage delivery problem where it looked as if it was delivered on my beta devices, but on macOS, uh, because day to day, I run uh, a high Sierra, but I have an SSD with Mojave on it and haven't really used it much, but a little bit. Um, but anyway, on the uh, high Sierra messages app, the message was showing is not delivered, or rather, it just didn't have the delivered tag underneath it. But on my phone, it showed delivered. And so it ended up being where it wasn't getting delivered. And there was this whole issue and I finally got it fixed. But other than that, which is actually kind of a big thing, um, things have been pretty smooth. So yeah, I've been uh, relatively pleased with it. I'm, uh, I'm running Mojave on an external SSD, even the on a secondary system, even at that, it's uh it's not quite ready. I have put off the uh, iOS 12 beta. I've got some travel coming up. I'm going to do it when I get back. And my Nexus phone now is too old for Android P, which is a bummer because I really wanted to compare the wellness features in Android P to the screen time stuff in iOS 12 because I think they're uh, trying to do the same thing, but in kind of interesting different ways. But uh, my phone is too old, so I need to <laughs> I need to do something about that, I guess. Um I think for me, it's just it's exciting to run new stuff. Of course, it's part of the job, right, to be able to talk about these things. And that's sort of how I justify it. It was like when I can't make a phone call because my phone is rebooting. It's like, well, <laughs> it's for work. Someone else called 911. That's a thing sometimes. But <laughs> Someone else called 911. <laughs> please. That's excellent. Is anyone around? Does anyone have a phone not on a beta? See, this is why I have a test device with me, which is not running the beta. I think I'm doing it the wrong way around, but I do. I, I have been carrying two phones since WWDC, just in case there's so you an urgent a, need a, to make a phone call. You have a day phone and a night phone, is what you've done. <laughs> wow, a fancy, fancy day phone, night phone. Um, yeah. I actually, I do have an iPhone SE uh, that I could technically be running the beta on alone and then have my iPhone 10 not running the beta. But let's be real, like one of the main reasons that I installed the doggone thing was so that I could use Memoji. And here's the thing. I'm a little disappointed with Memoji. Um, I've created my Memoji and it's fine. It's fine. But it doesn't like... I love Bitmoji. I unashamedly, unabashedly, and happily and proudly love uh, Bitmoji and use them all the time uh, as much as possible. Um, Memoji doesn't have as much customization right now as Bitmoji does. And so where I can actually sort of see myself, so to speak, in my uh, Bitmoji, I don't really think that I look like myself with my my Memoji. And that makes me sad because it's like, I want to have the same amount of, of 
joy using uh, the 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 memoji as I did with with Bitmoji, and it's just just not the case right now. So we'll see if uh, eventually that changes, um, and there are more like hair options. And really, the the main thing with memoji, which I'm sure everyone's like, oh gosh, why is he still talking about this? Um, is the head width? There aren't multiple head width options, and so it ends up being like I realize it's supposed to look like a cartoon, but it's uh, yeah, that's like the one thing. If they could, if you could have thinner heads, <laughs> then I think I would look a little bit more like myself. Yeah, I've noticed I can't memoji when my hair is down, and this is oh, something no. I actually saw in the keynote. Uh, like if if you're uh, if you have longer hair um, and you you use a memoji that maybe doesn't have quite the same hair length as you, then you've got like this memoji head and with you know memoji hair and then you've got real hair sticking out underneath and it just looks so weird it's breaking that wall and uh, i can't i can't handle it so i have to tie my hair up to use memoji that's not a good. terrible tragedy yeah and maybe they can you know do something you know something intelligent and delete my hair i don't know <laughs> <Bit of. laughs> well i felt i felt already pretty well documented by the lion character so yes um i played with it <laughs> At WWDC, and like it, I could come up with one that sort of looked like me. It is funny, like all these new OSs have new, like really interesting features, and we're talking about the stupid emoji, but it's what people are drawn to, right? And I think it's the same reason why uh, Apple puts their emoji updates in a point update, right? So, hey, update to iOS 12.1 or 12.2 and get all these new emojis, including I think there's a flamingo this year, which I'm very excited about. Uh, it makes sense that these features draw people in. They want people to update. Um, but I think sometimes it's at the, at the expense of like actual features that are good and important, but Hey, they're not fun, right? Emoji are fun. Yeah. And well, okay. So speaking not of that, I will say that like, uh, we've seen, well, many of us, any of us who are on Twitter have probably seen Jack sharing, uh, the screen time stuff. Um, screen time has been a really interesting new feature that, I think is going to be eye-opening for a lot of people. I don't think that necessarily it's going to change anyone's habits. Like you really have to want to uh, to change your habits if you want it to work. But just being able to see and sort of feel the shame <laughs> that comes with seeing how many times you've picked up your phone in a day. And one of my favorite features that has really kept me like uh, just last night, um, you can set your bedtime uh, in in the clock app on on iOS and screen time will make use of that information and when you click into screen or tap into screen time it'll show you how many times you picked up your phone past your bedtime and it like highlights those things it points them out and so last night I had this moment where I wanted to pick up my phone but it was already passed when I said that I wanted to go to bed and I was like no I can't have that thing calling me out that I picked up my phone past bedtime so it's already working on me and I actually like I, I appreciate that and I just like having an idea of how I'm using my devices but along with screen time is uh, new do not disturb options that are quite wonderful uh, including what's become my favorite thing where if you swipe down to control center or where you swipe to get to control center um, and if you 3d touch or I assume long press on older devices the uh, do not disturb icon it will look into your calendar and see what you are doing and can you can set it so that it will 
turn on Do Not Disturb until the end of a calendar event. That is so helpful for me as a podcaster because I am so bad at remembering to turn off Do Not Disturb after I get done podcasting or doing something else that requires it. And so now I don't even have to think about it. I just hit that until the end of this event and bada bing, bada boom, uh, it will shut off afterward and I don't have to think about it. So I'm really loving the new... uh, quote unquote Siri intelligence features that come along with the the stuff that we've we've had since, you know, older versions of iOS. I think it's all made things a lot more convenient. Definitely. I've been using Do Not Disturb a lot as well, and I found myself adding more events to my calendar. So I went to the cinema um, last week in Seoul Solo, and I added that to my calendar. Not because I needed to remember where I was going and when, but so that I could have Do Not Disturb uh, suggest itself to me and turn off after the film so that I would then be able to find people again after. Um, and that is, you know, that's it's quite amazing how quickly your, your behavior can change itself just because you've got these features and this information at hand. Unfortunately, screen time is not working on my iPhone 10, so I have no idea what my usage is like there, but it is working <laughs> on my iPad. So I, I'm seeing, you know, that apparently I spend a, a lot of time on the home screen of my iPad because I just leave it, leave it unlocked on my desk all day. So Just staring at the icons. <laughs> Yes. Wondering why you can't put more of them on an iPad. Why is there space here? Uh, They're all in my dock anyway. (laughs) Do we think that, uh, I think there's an angle to this, right? That it's good for companies to run public betas because users can get it early and can help break things and the companies can be gathering information and bug reports how big of a deal do we think that is? Is the average person running a public beta, are they providing feedback beyond what's automatically collected? Do you think this is something that a lot of people do? Or is this reserved for sort of like the, the angry tech nerds who just yell, file a bug report anytime you complain on Twitter that your phone crashed? Oh, those angry nerds. Just ruining it for everybody. I was very surprised a couple of years ago. I, was, I ran into an old friend of mine. And I mean, she's okay with computers and you know but she's not somebody i would ever have expected to be running a beta and she was running the ios 10 public beta um and she was saying oh yeah but it keeps doing this thing there was some bug that she had and i was like well did you report it what and she had she had no idea that that, you know like if there are problems uh, there's a feedback app and you should be using that to tell people there are problems it was just somebody had told her oh yeah you get these cool new features if you install the beta and so she had not really understanding what it was and i think that you know that that is a problem especially then people get this idea that maybe it's not very stable and it crashes and it eats all your battery life and especially with the whole thing about you know apple having previously done some limiting in uh, on old iPhones to extend the battery life you know then it's sort of you know, they end up with this idea in their heads, which is not necessarily the true picture. Um, at the same time, though, there are a lot of people who are more than willing to run the beta and don't necessarily have a developer account, and but they will provide valuable feedback. And so I think there's, a, there's definitely a trade-off there, but hopefully they're getting enough feedback to make it worth it for them. I think... I think it's good, certainly, that, that, you know, Apple makes this stuff available. And I would imagine that there has to be some, some level of, of internal knowledge about this being a good thing for them. And so like, what I'm saying is, 
I would think that they must be getting feedback um, from some people who are running the public beta, or I don't think that this would be a priority for them. And if I'm not mistaken, the public beta this year came out a lot quicker than it has in the past. Um, and, you know, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but I I think that there's there are people who must be doing that. I am a developer beta runner, and I am not very good at... Oh, and please don't tweet at me. I know I should be filing bug reports and filing radars, but I'm not doing it. Um, I haven't... You know, I'm not very good at it. Every once in a while, I will. But um, I try not to complain about it all that often, because I I realize that that's what's going to happen if I do. Um, But anyway, my, my point is... It's cool that, you know, people get access to these features sooner and get to try it out and feel like they're part of the, you know, the, the buildup of the actual final version. But if you sort of think about, uh, if, if, if the reason that they're doing it is just to sort of have that fun, uh, and be part of the beginning of it, then when things reach their final form in the fall, it's not as exciting. And I think that people will sometimes fall into this like, well, Apple's not creating anything new. And this is boring because they've gotten to be a part of it all summer. And so then the people in in the fall who sort of get to update their devices and they feel brand new, that's a whole different experience for them. So I think it's just you have to you have to know sort of where you fall in the spectrum. And if you want to be an early adopter or if you're if, if it would be better for you to just wait until the fall and get the final version. Well said. Uh, so yeah, good luck to all you beta runners, and uh, rest in peace, Rose's phone. <laughs> it's fine. It's just you know the feedback app crashes, so you know that makes life easy, right? It's <laughs> ironic. Very, very ironic. But hey, there are other ways to file feedback, which I have been using. So just uh, scream into the void. So, time for the fuzzy puppy update. Even though it's been a pretty positive episode of Download, we like to end on a high note. And I want to talk about Remus, who is a one-year-old black lab living in Phoenix, Arizona. This video you probably saw because it went crazy viral. He jumped into his owner's pool and saved another dog named Smokey, who was drowning. So, one dog saves another the video went insane and now the hero has been honored by the mesa fire department who gave remus a tasty bag of dog treats to thank him for being what they called a model dog citizen i think we all need more heroes like remus i think he's sending an example for many of us a little programming note we are taking next week off from download jason and i will both be traveling but we will be back the week after that, so no show on July 5th. We'll both be back on July 12th, so uh, appreciate that flexibility you give us, uh, our awesome audience. So until two weeks from now, we'll keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye. <laughs>